hello and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Laurie, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Caroline Blanchard. Caroline is a mum of three, a successful entrepreneur, a transformation and sobriety coach, a multiple number one best-selling author and publisher, an animal lover, and a podcaster who finally experiences freedom, happiness, and acceptance after embracing the road to recovery and self-love. Her passion and goals are to empower people, especially women, to thrive in life and business and become the best version of themselves, regardless of their history and background. We spoke about a few topics on the podcast, including Caroline's personal journey with alcoholism and her recommendations for others' relationship with alcohol, how to reset your life priorities and to live a life aligned with your dreams and how to find balance as a busy woman. I'm so excited to share this episode with you as we dive into a topic that we haven't yet experienced on this podcast yet, alcohol. How are you going today, Caroline? Amazing. How about you, Laurie? I am wonderful. I'm super excited to speak to you just because I haven't had anyone on the podcast yet that speaks to sobriety and speaks to all of that sort of stuff. And I know I've had a personal journey with trying to accept that maybe I need a little less alcohol in my life. So I'm super stoked to get your perspective. Can you tell me what I would need to know about your journey or your story to know why you help people in this way now? Oh, wow. There's uh, Yeah, that's a loaded question. <laughs> but thank you, first of all, for having me here. It's an honor. Um, well, I have, you know, a typical journey of uh, troubled teenagers. Uh, so I had a bit of a troubled childhood as well. And I started drinking when I was 12. Well, actually, 11 was the very first time I got drunk. But on my own, I started at 12, uh, which is, you know, I know that some people hearing that are like, where was your mom? My mom did not know. <laughs> you know, when you start discovering uh, something that makes you feel good, you start being very sneaky and being very good at um, having it when you need it. And, uh, you know, and it was different times as well. That's like a few decades ago. But um, the thing is, when I started drinking right away, I felt the numbing sensa sensation of not feeling, you know, the the emptiness or the pain that is that was in me. And I think that a lot of people do drink for that reason, whether it comes from trauma, abuse, uh, you know, sadness, relationships, whatever it is, when you drink, you go into onto a, another level where your brain is like your dopamine is uh, artificially um you know, well, I'm looking for my word here. It's artificially pushed, like, so mm -hmm. produced. Um, so yeah, I started back then and then I became the party girl, the really fun one that everyone was inviting everywhere. Uh, so it was all fun and games. And um, I never thought I had an issue. I just mm -hmm. thought I was really, really cool. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, when I got into my adult years, um, I, I kept going, but I, the thing with me is that I was always a very high functioning alcoholic. I never, uh, lost jobs or missed deadlines or, um, lacked responsibilities because I was drinking. I was always able to, you know, keep everything, uh, up and going. So, uh, and when I had my son, I was 24 and I completely stopped drinking. So I was mm-hmm. convinced that I had no issue. I could stop for a whole pregnancy. And then after, you know, the wine at supper started again and, uh, I was now an adult and it was very acceptable, um, you know, to match your meals with the right alcohol. So, um, yeah, it just kept on sneaking on me for years and years. Um, until it came to a point that it was not manageable anymore, that I felt like I had a problem. And, and then when I would tell people around me, they would tell me, no, you don't have a problem. You're doing yeah. great. You know, everyone thought I had the perfect life. I married three kids, three gorgeous kids, like all good in school, uh, three dogs, rescues, like nice house. I was a volunteer for my son's hockey team, volunteer for my daughter's uh, soccer team. I had a super high position. So on the outside, things were like really rolling, but on the inside, everything was crumbling. And, um, you know, I came to a point of when I spoke to people close to me about the fact that I, you know, I think I have a problem. First of all, when you drink, you surround yourself with people who drink. That's just like, that's how you can keep going. So clearly that circle will not want you, will not want to see you leave that circle. So they're like, no, 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 you don't have a problem. You're good. Just try to moderate, just, uh, you know, calm it down, slow it down. But for me, uh, I tried moderation for years and it just doesn't work. I'm a very black or white person. And, um, and long story short, uh, my dad passed. I had a very hard, hard time dealing with that. I wasn't sleeping anymore. So the doctor prescribed me sleeping pills. Um, and again, you know, it was legal. It was okay. Um, I did not do my research properly, but it was sleeping pills that you should not be taking more than two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I took them for a year and a half. So I had built my tolerance. I was addicted to them without really realizing it. And uh, one day when the pain was extremely high, I just thought I would take one more than I usually take. And I clearly lost my judgment and it ended into an overdose. So I ended up in ICU. And um, I think that that's when people around me too said, oh, I think you do have a problem. <laughs> so uh, that's when I, I I went for help. But before that, um, I didn't, you know, I had, I had phoned a rehab center, but because I was able to, they always do the interview with you to see like, what's your level of threat against yourself and, mm-hmm. you know, in life in general. And because I was able to speak very calmly and I was poised and I was logical in what I was saying and I was smart. I was just like, yes, I do have a drinking problem at night. It becomes unmanageable. Sometimes I have dark ideas, but because I was able to explain it all, I was considered not a threat to myself. And that was just before the overdose. And um, the other option was AA. And for me, AA was for 
the homeless people who had nothing in life and who were really struggling. So I wasn't seeing myself there yet. And I really didn't want to have that on my resume. So, you know, I kept AA far from me, but clearly uh, I needed help. Yeah. Wow. What a story, Caroline. And thank you so much for sharing. It's It seems like you have such a long-standing history with alcohol before you managed to get to healing yourself, which we can talk about in a moment. But just that journey of being 12 years old, being the party girl, and I know because I'm a party girl, just because I'm like an extrovert, so naturally with or without alcohol, I'm a party girl. Um, (laughs) And and it, it just feels like the system didn't really set you up for success there. And you know, something that's kind of yelling out to me is one of the defense mechanisms in psychology is intellectualizing things. And if you're an intellectual being, you can sit there and have a conversation with a doctor or, you know, with the Alcoholics Anonymous and to intellectualize everything. So people think you've got it under wraps, but it's like my head has it under wraps, but my actual body and emotion does not. You are so right on that. I think like you're one of the first people who actually say it the way it is. Uh, you know, I've been in therapy. I've done all these things, but I've always said, uh, and that might sound a bit conceited, but I've always said I'm too smart for that because I would tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. And I would, it was almost always a game to me mm-hmm. because I could not let all of the emotions or whatever the, the, I want to say weaknesses, but it's not weakness. When you are fighting something inside of you, it's not a weakness. It's something that you need help with. But because it was so taboo and mental health issues are so taboo still in 2023, um, I was seeing it as weakness. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I would always measure how I would share. And so talk therapy never worked for me. Absolutely. Um, But you're absolutely right. It's really you know, into intellectualizing it, like you said. Yeah. And people do that, you know, with the holistic fitness movement, a lot of people are addicted to sugar or they're addicted to Netflix or they're addicted to scrolling on social media. And it's not that they don't know that moving often and eating well is best for them. It's the habits that are driving those behaviors. And then it's the traumas and the past experience you've had to like drive you to continue to do that. Um, because Knowing is one thing, executing is another. So I would really love to know how you managed to heal yourself. If talk therapy didn't work for you, what worked and what did that journey look like? Uh, Well, first of all, I think maturity, you know, getting older and, you know, I've tried so many, so many different things in my life. Um, But I've always knew, like, even when I was young and partying, I never partied with a clean conscience. (laughs) I always knew that I was doing wrong to my body. And, you know, there's a little piece in me that felt like I deserved better. Mm. And then there's a piece of me, the child who was abused at five, who thought, well, no, that's, that's what he, the card you got dealt with. So just deal with it. That's your life. So it was often a battle within me. And I have to say, like, I I truly believe in angels. I have my grandma as an angel who always protected me because even even in the worst of the worst of the worst experiences, I always had good people around me that would kind of keep me safe, even in the bad things. So I, it it was always a duality in my mind. Mm. Um, 
And I think that when I had my kids, you know, it, it got to a point of, um, my thinking was like, well, my life is done. It's messed up. I can't fix it. I'll have to wait to the next life, but I can fix theirs. And I don't have to put them through that. And actually my kids never really saw me, um, drunk or, you know, out of my mind, even when I, when I had the overdose and when I stopped drinking, I remember my son was probably, um, he was 14, I think. And he said, mom, why are you stopping drinking? Cause I had to explain to them and to also hold myself accountable. I, people had to know around and he's like, why are you stopping? You're not doing anything wrong. You're just drinking wine at supper. You know, so he never saw any, uh, anything dramatic. So that's why, um, it was difficult for them to understand, like, really what's going on. Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing. So you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals. And sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. Why was it important that you were so honest with your 14-year-old child about this? Because I never wanted to lie to my kids. I, you know, that's, I thought I'm not the perfect person, but I will always stay authentic. So I tried to raise them in sharing that I'm not perfect, sharing that I have weaknesses and all of this. Uh, but clearly I, I think I wasn't seeing drinking as a weakness. So I wasn't sharing that either. Um, but to get back to your other question, when you said, you know, what was your journey to recovery? Basically, um, after the, the, the overdose, which was considered as a suicide attempt, which I was so insulted because I was like, no, it wasn't that. I don't want that in my file. 
but I self-inflicted all of that on myself. So it is technically what it is. Um, but I was devastated that my kids would even think that I could have left them and it did affect them a lot, you know? So I just decided, no, it's done. Um, I clearly can't moderate. I clearly can't, uh, control myself. Alcohol is clearly more powerful than I am. Um, so I will just cut it out completely. Um, so I really did cut it out completely, but I would say for the first few years, first probably three, four years, I was not sober emotionally. I was a dry drunk. So I was the person like, I felt like I was punished. They put me in a corner and they told me like, watch all of the other ones lived their life, but you don't get to drink or use anything anymore. So I had willpower and I stayed dry, but in my mind, I was miserable <laughs> and I was mad and, you know, it wasn't fun. So I started self-development. Actually, someone gave me a book called The Slide Edge and um, they gave it to me for the business that I was in, but it's a life philosophy that I started to read and I applied it to everything that I was doing. And then when I started reading that, I started reading other books and I really started diving into why do I feel how I feel and why do I feel so worthless, even if, you know, I can run a huge organization and bring their numbers up and motivate people and lead teams? Why do I feel like I'm five years old still and I can't do anything? There was always this little girl. And she's still with me always, but now we have a different relationship. But the relationship I had is that it was a five-year-old often driving my life as an adult. So um, yeah, again, the duality. So I would say a lot of self-development. And then, you know, recently in the last three years, I did NLP, which I, for me, was fabulous. Um, and I really changed my whole perspective uh, on everything. And now it's actually, I get to be sober and, um, you know, you don't need alcohol in your life. And I don't feel like I'm missing out anymore on life. 10 years ago, when I stopped drinking, being sober wasn't too cool. You know, I was like a disease. Now it's like, I feel like there's a movement that is starting to really shift that being sober is actually smart because alcohol is poison. And I had so many people arguing that with me that alcohol is not a poison. Um, of course, if you do consume al alcohol, you don't want to, you know, face the fact that it is, but they call it alcohol poisoning for a reason. If you take too much, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it's just something that you build a tolerance to, so you can tolerate a certain amount, but um, yeah. Not sure where I'm going with that. <laughs> no, that was super interesting. You've had such a great story as well. There's there's so many questions I could ask you, to be honest. Let's start with a term that you use that some listeners may not know. NLP. What is that? It's neuro-linguistic programming. 
Um, I had no idea what it was, but I, I have a podcast and I interviewed someone on the podcast who came to talk about NLP. And I love to have subjects on my podcast. I think I really only do it for myself. I'm my biggest <laughs> fan and I go get subjects that I want to learn on. And, uh, you know, he was talking about um, trauma and everything. And for me, what really clicked, he said, it takes a few seconds or a few minutes to create a trauma that you will carry your whole life. Wow. Why does it take 20 years to, you know, solve that trauma? It can also take a few minutes to solve the same trauma. It can take the same time it took to, to create the trauma than to solve it. And I was just like, dude, <laughs> you have to do a session with me because, you know, I was super skeptical and I was just like, no, it's impossible. I know I'm 48 and I've been carrying it since I'm five. And, um, and honestly it did, it did work. That's crazy. We did more than one session. And I mean, it is, you know, you have to really believe in it and you have to invest yourself in it. But, um, and I couldn't say after when he was like, how do you feel? I couldn't say exactly what changed in me. But there's reactions that I don't have anymore um, that are visceral. And that's the thing too. Uh, NLP goes on a sub subconscious level. And for me, on a conscious level, I know exactly what's wrong with me. And you should not say that sentence, by the way. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> We're all just different. But I know exactly what's happening. But there's sometimes that I will react to a situation and even while I'm reacting, I know I should not be reacting that way or I know how to not do that, but it's visceral. It's inside of me, you know, and that is something I could not control. And that's what NLP did for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so, that's so relatable as well. Like, I think everyone has emotions they'd rather not have, whether it's jealousy, envy, or like anger or drinking too much or eating a whole slice of cake or a whole two slices of cake when we just wanted to enjoy half a slice or whatever your thing is. Um, mm -hmm. And I agree. My, I've done neuralistic, neuro-linguistic programming before and it felt like just a conversation. It just felt like we were having a good old chat. And then afterwards, I'm like, ooh, I feel a bit lighter. And it's, and it's just those reactions to those triggers just aren't there anymore. It's, it's pretty insane if you believe in the work. It, it, it is. It is. <laughs> and I recommend it to, you know, um, get informed on it and find someone who is actually, you know, has a success proven track. Mm. Um, cause I do believe like in anything, there's some, people who really know what they're doing and some want to be doing it, but are not there yet. So find the right person. For sure. Something else I want to touch on that you said earlier, Caroline, is dry drunk. So that really stood out to me. You know, personally, I've seen this with clients and in myself. I actually, my aunt and I, we make this comment that we have to do everything right just to feel normal. I should say, we get to do everything right just to feel normal. But, um, you know, I'm one of those people, like I can't have more, like too many drinks. Otherwise, I'll feel depressed. If I don't exercise, if I don't eat well, if I don't get enough water, like my body just feels it. It feels like I need to do all the healthy things just to kind of feel well. And sometimes it's a sense of, sense of 
like resentment. It's like, oh, why can't I just have like a, a lazy day and feel feel good about myself? So can you dive more into this, you know, this few years that you had of being dry drunk and what that felt for you and how you, I guess you did explain how you got out of it. But if you had any details there, I think that'd be really helpful. Mm, well, you know, when I was dry drunk, it's just my mind was not aligned with my body, basically, because mm. uh, I was still craving it and I was still um, thinking, oh, it would be so amazing to have a glass of wine right now. I was a red wine drinker and, um, you know, that was not leaving my mind. So physically, I was not using anything. But that's what the term dry drunk is mm-hmm. because you can be, and some people are like that, like for 20, 30 years. So yes, they're sober, but they're not happy sober. Um, when you finally start getting emotionally sober is when you understand that you really don't need it in your life and you, you should not have it in your life. I remember before stopping drinking, um, having friends telling me, Oh, I went, uh, for supper with so and so and, uh, and somehow in the discussion, I would discover there was no wine involved. I was just like, well, why did you go for supper? <laughs> and, you know, it's like for me in my mind, a life without drinking wine at supper was not conceivable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's nights that I didn't have wine at supper, but I mean, going to a place I was raised, you bring a bottle of wine and you bring flowers or whatever, depending where you're going. But I mean, for me, the only thing, and that's what inside after, the only thing I was looking forward to was to have a glass of wine with that person. Yeah, but when yeah. I removed that, I stopped socializing. I stopped going out. Um, you know, I went to, we had a wedding that year and I was sitting there like being almost mad that they were getting married. <laughs> I was just like, oh, they could celebrate that on their own and blah, blah, why am I here? So for me, nothing had any point of doing because there was no alcohol attached. And that's when you're not sober emotionally. Um, you know, when you start understanding that, first of all, alcohol is a depressant and alcohol does create anxiety. And that's one thing that we don't understand because when we're anxious quite often or when we're stressed, we think we're rewarding ourselves with having a glass of wine or whatever your drink is. But physically, and that's proven scientifically, your body will create more anxiety. So that's why the next day you're not feeling that great. Yeah. And then, you know, what are you going to do? You will want to de-stress again and have another glass of wine. So whether you have one glass of wine a day or every three, four days, you do create anxiety in your body. So it's really not, um, you know, it's not healthy for us. And it was also changing my whole perspective on, you know, when I was younger, it was when I'm older, I'll get to drink, you know, because cool people, that's what they do. And funny enough, I was raised with my mom alone and she never drank. There was no alcohol in our house. So it's not because I had the example of that. Uh, I was living in an Italian neighborhood that was a big example of wine always <laughs> being present. And like when I was seven, they would give us wine with seven up. 
like even that to say, oh, it's okay, you know, it's a little treat. So alcohol is seen a lot as a treat, as a companion, as a de-stressor, as a reward, as comfort. You know, it's like your happy drink, your sad drink, your stress drink. You're so calm and comfy while drink. It's just we get to the point that culturally it's associated to everything, basically. And, you know, you say um, having a lazy day you feel guilty. Yeah, That's yeah. one thing that I had before and I don't have it anymore because now I do have some lazy days, but they're healthy, lazy days. Mm-hmm. It's not a lazy day hung over on the couch praying that night, you know, comes faster so I can finally go to bed and be like 24 hours later because I know my body will be a bit better in 24 hours. I have real lazy days that I'm just going to read a book have my tea, um, not have a schedule that day. For me, that's my Sundays. But I don't feel guilty anymore because now it's self-care. I'm giving myself time. It's not anymore like I need to recoup, you know? (laughs) Um, So I think it's a way of removing that guilt is of doing it healthy because, you know, alcohol is not healthy at all. And Unfortunately, we're raised thinking that if you want to be cool, if you want to be sexy, if you want to be fun, you need alcohol. But I promise you that if you drink alcohol a lot, you're not going to look like those girls in bikinis in the beer commercials. Um, you know, you will have a gut and you, your skin won't be that nice, <laughs> you know, all of that. So it's all false publicity, basically. Yeah. Just as much as, you know, um, sugar is, is pushed on us. Um, it doesn't mean it's good. It just means that, you know, my kids always, not always, but often say, well, mom, everyone's doing it. And since they're little, my, my answer has always been like, well, you, you compare yourself to the best, not to the worst who's doing it. Mm, You know, that's so true. Do you believe alcohol has a place in anyone's life? Um, honestly, no, I used to think like, yes, if, if you can tolerate it and everything, but it's a mind alternate altering, um, it's a mind altering substance and there's nothing healthy in alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I know that now some people are hearing that and they're like, it's not true. If you have red wine every single day, it's good for your heart. Maybe, maybe there is, there are some studies that shows that. But you have more than one organ in your body. Mm-hmm. So maybe it does something positive for uh, your heart, but it's so hard on your liver. It's hard on your pancreas. It's like, you know, it depends where you the study comes from. It will highlight what they want to show. But there's nothing healthy in alcohol. It's just like, um, I think for me when I was younger, it was candies. Candies were a reward. And my mom would give me, you know, change and I would go get a bag of candies and sit and eat all that sugar. And it was a reward. But again, do you need that in your life? No. Mm. So alcohol is the same. It's kind of like the candies for adults, but we don't need it. I think it's just really pushed on us. It's a huge economy. And um, somehow we think it's a reward. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's activating those dopamine pathways as well. And that pleasure center by, by making it a reward, you know, you do good and then you get the candy or you get the alcohol. 
You know what? I would love to see a study, like a holistic study on, because I've heard of that red wine study as well, that it's good for your heart. And yeah, that that is there. But what organs did we measure and do the benefits outweigh the you know, things that aren't ideal. Was the study done on rats? Was the study only done on men because women are misrepresented? And if so, like, Mm -hmm. how does it change in terms of endocrinology and women versus men? Like, we attach ourselves to these blanket statements without actually knowing if it's relevant to us. Exactly. It's like I tell some people, did you know that nicotine has some positive effects? Like nicotine will help you focus and stuff like that. But would I tell you start smoking? Never. And you would never say that to anyone like, oh, it's good that you smoke because nicotine is good for this because there's so many other harmful things in, in, in a cigarette or in vaping. Same thing with coffee. Caffeine, like my son was born premature. Uh, he was born at 25 weeks and caffeine is one of the things that kept him alive because when his heart would go down, they would give him caffeine. Yeah. But I mean, now would I tell you like, just take some caffeine every single day. It's not good. Every single substance has a positive effect on something. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's like, it's not complete studies. It doesn't talk about what alcohol does for your mental health. I've rarely seen people after, you know, partying one night being the next morning, like, oh, I'm so pumped to do this, unless they know <laughs> they're going towards another party. Yeah. But it's like it slows down our, our metabolism. It's a depressant. It creates anxiety. And that is like that, too, is scientifically proven. So whether you drink a lot or not, you will have those those side effects maybe lesser if you just drank less, but it's still not healthy for you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, you know, if you choose to, it's using that discernment. And that's a really good point as well regarding um, how they use caffeine for your your son's heart because, you know, noradrenaline, epinephrine, adrenaline is going to increase your heart rate. And that can be really good 30 minutes before a workout with some coconut oil that has like medium chain triglycerides. But having coffee and and coconut oil at 9pm to activate your sympathetic nervous system when you actually want your, your parasympathetic nervous system kicking in, like not good. It's like there's so many different, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's a tool. But what you're saying, it's like, it, it, you know, the the tooling of alcohol, it doesn't sound, sound like there's many um, benefits there. No. And you know what? If... if- not everyone has an addiction problem. Mm. And, um, but if you do feel that you're drinking a bit too much, or I get so many messages <laughs> on social media, um, hey, Carolyn, I drink this, 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 uh, you know, and they give me the days and the, the amount. Do you think I drink too much? And my answer is pretty much always the same. If you're messaging me, probably, <laughs> probably. You know, if you have to ask someone, probably, because otherwise, like I know some people who truly have no addiction problems and uh, they will be able to have half a glass of wine, leave the other half on the table and they don't want any anymore. They don't even think about it. Not more than me. If you put like a, I don't know, a piece of certain food in front of me, I won't even think about it, you know? So when you start asking yourself, 
um, maybe that's a good red flag. Mm. And you know, if you can't leave a place without your glass being empty or without the bottle being empty, that too is another red flag. Like me, if I, I, when I was trying to moderate, I was just like, I'll only have one glass of wine tonight and I will leave the bottle of wine there. And I would go to bed. What was I thinking about? The bottle of wine on the counter. I was just like, I could almost like smell it from my room. I knew the whole night that I was sleeping, I knew it was there. And the only reason why I wasn't getting up to go get more is because I was just like, no, I've set myself a goal, a self a goal. I will respect it. I'll have it tomorrow at five. And believe me, at five the next day, um, there could have been like the biggest traffic jam on her on earth. I was having my wine. Mm. It's like so controlling if it's obsessing, it's a, if it's obsessive, even if you can like even if you control it, it's still not good. Mm. It's not good for mental health for a lot of different things, but yeah. Yeah, and it can even be a gateway as well because I definitely relate to the person who won't leave a bottle of wine at the table only if they paid for it in a restaurant and <laughs> also not leaving a glass of wine on the counter. And for me, it's poverty mindset. I was raised underneath the poverty line, so I don't want to waste. So I really get like when my clients say I need to eat the entire entire plate of food, I get it because when you're conditioned to not waste anything because you don't have much and you want to um, use your resources intelligently, like even in that scenario... Um, whether it's an alcohol problem or a poverty pop problem or an impulse problem, it gives people something to work with. I know we don't have much time, but there is something I really want to dive into. You've mentioned it three times. At the start of the conversation, you spoke about the circle you spend time with. And if they're always drinking, you're going to feel compelled to drink. Also, how you were almost angry at the wedding that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't drink. And also the advice that you gave to your children around, you know, don't compare yourself to them, compare yourself to the best of the best. Tell me more about this circle of influence. Well, well, you know, that's something that I've learned in self-development. You are the average of the five people you spend the yeah. most time with. And it's, it's really true. So you have to be careful with who you surround yourself with. And we have relationships in our life that are toxic. And, you know, we feel we don't have a choice. Quite often it's family, spouses, all of this. And it's just people you can't get out of your life. Um, well, minimize the time that you spend with those people and minimize the energy that you're collecting from them. And the thing is, like, if you want to change habits, you know, if you want to change eating habits, drinking habits, uh, physical activity habits, you have to surround yourself with people who are doing it, who have what you want to have instead of surrounding yourself with people that you are better than them. Like for me, when I'm in a circle, I want to be the weakest link. Mm. I don't want to be the best of the circle. If I'm the best of the circle, it's time for me to move on and find something that will help me grow even more. Um, and for sobriety, when I became emotionally sober, it's also because I surrounded myself by sober people and I stopped 
trying to be normal, uh, which normal doesn't exist, but I am using this term. <laughs> There's nothing that is or isn't normal, but I was trying to be the same me as I was before, but without alcohol. And that's why sobriety wasn't working well for me. And that's why I was so miserable um, because I was staying in the same circle of everyone who needs to get drunk to have fun. And, you know, the bigger the events, the more alcohol, <laughs> it, it kind of goes together and it's all justifiable and it's all okay and acceptable. So I really had to move away from that and find a circle of people who thought that getting up at seven in the morning on a Sunday is cool. And, you know, when you see those people walking their dogs on a Saturday at 6.30 a.m., I used to think like, what are they doing? <laughs> now I'm like, <laughs> you know... No, I'm seeing it very differently. I'm like, wow, they're really taking on their day and they're starting like early. Um, you know, going to bed at 9.30 at night or 10 is not just for grandmas. I used to think it was so not cool, but you get your best hours before 12. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can do that if you're not partying and all of that. And if you did get up at six in the morning and you had a full day, you want to go to bed as well. So it's surround your, yourself with, you know, what you want to be, not just with people that you think you should, you deserve. And quite often when we have, uh, you know, self-esteem issues or self-worth issues, we surround ourselves with people that we think we deserve. And that is detrimental to yourself. And, you know, you may say, well, I don't know someone like if you want to be a millionaire, I'm taking a money example here because it's always the easiest to to understand. You may be like, well, I want to be a millionaire, but I don't know any millionaire. Well, there's tons of millionaires online. Follow whoever, follow Oprah, you know, follow whoever. Uh, For the longest time, my best friend was a mentor that I've never met in person. You know, maybe some people think I'm weird, but I was following him and I was listening to his talk and I was listening to his podcast. And, you know, that was what was motivating me. So, yes, he wasn't physically in my circle, but I chose to include him in my circle. And so be careful to with who you spend the most time with. Mm, and you raise such a good point there because not everyone has access to the resources of millionaires, people who are sober, you know, um, people who are, and this is a big thing in fitness um, that people struggle with is, you know, generally they go through breakups or they go through a lot of, you know, tough times with their boyfriends or husbands because they're just not on board with the new life and they've kind of either got to get on board or, you know, get out. Um, Mm -hmm. but there are creative ways that you can create a circle of influence, but it's tough sometimes when you are in that void of having no one and it's trusting that those good people will come that are aligned with the version of yourself you're embodying. Yes, but there's so many podcasts and there's so many groups like on Instagram and Facebook It's just to have the courage to do the first step and join those groups and you can do it anonymously. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that we have like, there's big sobriety groups on Instagram and I met amazing people there that are now friends and I've never met them in person. But they're friends and I know that if I need help, if I need anything, you know, if I need to talk, I can call them. Uh, But the main thing is that I know that they understand what I'm going through and they're not judging me. 
And that is the same for, you know, if you want a diet, if you want anything. And I actually just, uh, I'm going to do a little self-promotion here, but <laughs> I ended up, uh, you know, writing a book with 11 other people that I met on Instagram and it's all our journey to sobriety. And, you know, it ranges from 20 five years old to 60 something. So, and it's men and women. Um, so it's all different journeys, mm -hmm. but it's all there to say, first of all, I, I put 12 different people in the book because I wanted readers to identify to one of them. The stories are all different. The backgrounds are different, but we all dealt with the same, the same thing in the end is, you know, becoming sober and being happy being sober. But yeah, join a community of whatever you want to, mm. to, to be a part of. Yeah, you're so right. Before we do get to, you know, you letting us know where we can buy your amazing book, because that sounds amazing. And uh, also a closing question. Is there anything that you feel that you haven't shared that you wanted to today about mental health, sobriety, or, you know, life priorities? Oh, well, probably about mental health. You know, I've been in a mild depression since I was five mm -hmm. and it took me years to admit it to myself because it was seen as weak, as weak. And now I don't see it as weak anymore. And it's something that I'm very self-conscious of. And it doesn't mean that I'm unhappy and it doesn't mean that I have a bad life. It just means that I will always be more um, vulnerable to depression than anyone else. So right now I can say that I'm super happy and my life is at the best that it has ever been, but I still always am careful about mental health and what I do. And it's something that you need to work on every single day. It's not weakness. It's just, we're made different and, um, you know, different is okay. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know so many people are going to listen to what you just said and feel more included and like they're a little bit more normal because it's easy to feel like a square peg in a round hole when there are people going through similar experience to you and can help you feel understood. Absolutely. We do have a closing question on this podcast. What one sentence of advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Hmm. I could give her a book. Yeah. But <laughs> I would write her a book. But I think that the only thing I would tell myself is uh, your life is worth it. Just keep going. That's so, so lovely. Your life is mm -hmm. worth it. Where can people get a hold of your book, get a hold of your work? Are you on the socials? I'm sure so many people just want to follow you and, and learn more about your story, Caroline. Well, yes, I'm on social. So it's my name. Uh, Instagram, it's simply me, Caroline. I have a website that, that is uh, simplycaroline.com. And the book on sobriety is called That Party is Over and you can get it on Amazon. Um, and yes, just follow me on, on social media. And if you have questions, I will gladly answer. But um, if you need anything, there's always someone out there that wants to help you. And um, I'm just going to add the one last thing. Sometimes it's strangers that will help you the most. So don't be uh, scared to reach out. 
I've absolutely loved having you on the podcast, Caroline. It's been amazing. And for everybody listening, I know you will have gleaned so many amazing facts from this conversation. And until next time, eat well, move well, and breathe well. Bye. Bye.